I want to switch gears just a little bit because the other domain in which you spend so much time writing and thinking and observing is culture. Culture continues to be uh, a barrier to change in, in many of our medical organizations. And, and I'm wondering if you have any insights for leaders at the various levels of an organization, I mean, the, the top and people who are running teams or divisions. How does culture change? I think that's still a, a question we struggle with in healthcare. Unfortunately, culture is built by leaders when they first start an organization and culture changes with new leaders uh, hmm. and what what happened what i've seen in a number of hospitals and we put a couple of these cases in in our book uh, is that a leader comes in and wants to improve everything they're going to use the Toyota production system or some other system. And so that leader, these, these are real cases, is enthusiastic and supports the COO and others to start these programs. And the programs get going and are beginning to develop a, a culture of improvement and that culture is beginning to filter down into the organization. And the CEO, these are two actual cases, in the meantime, is concerned with increasing the size of the hospital system, oh, sure. uh, developing uh, new clinics and so on. Growth is a, is a big Growth becomes priority. the big priority. And so that person takes his eye off the ball of the internal improvement. I see this a lot. And in that process, in the two cases that I have in mind, the growth process becomes dysfunctional because the amount of investment in growth begins to exceed the amount of income from increasing numbers of patients. And so after a couple of years, the board decides, you know, this, this growth program has to be slowed down. And that CEO gets an offer of another job and they agree to part. So that CEO leaves and a new CEO comes in with partly the mandate of get this thing under control. And guess what? The first thing that new CEO sees is how much money has been spent on creating a culture of improvement and begins to, to curb that and literally begins to fire some of the people who have created improvement programs that are costly and that are effective, but because they're costly, they get killed. And so now, suddenly this new culture of improvement sort of regresses. Everybody pulls back, a lot of people get laid off. And in a couple cases, some of the most uh, important architects of improvement say, I don't want to work here anymore because my work isn't valued. So they move themselves to another system and 
the culture of, of hierarchy and cost control takes over because of this cycle. And where is the problem? The problem is that neither the board nor the earlier CEO built uh, enough controls to ensure that the improvement culture, if we'll call it that, the level two more open culture, would survive their own departure. So what I think is most interesting in, in my acquaintanceship with, with Virginia Mason is that Gary Kaplan knew from the beginning that if he didn't get his board on board, mm -hmm. he would be vulnerable to this same process of at some point his leaving and a new CEO coming in and undoing all the good that he had mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. So the big lesson is the top creates culture and you therefore can't change the top without worrying about what is the new top bringing in, the new board, the new CEO, because they will change the culture inevitably. What I'm hearing you say is that the culture keepers really need to be the board. In our industry, CEO turnover is quite high, and a CEO might be in an organization two to three years and then leave. So if anything is going to be embedded in a more permanent way, members of the board really need to own their responsibility in helping create and maintain a culture. I think that's absolutely correct, but there's a footnote. Okay. The board is not going to figure that out for itself. I think the, the leader CEO, the Gary Kaplans of the world, have to educate that board. And I think, again, uh, that's one of the most interesting things I learned from the Virginia Mason case is that when Kaplan took board members to Japan, the reason was he wanted them to personally experience stuff, not just to hear about it and be shown how great everything is. We think we educate the board by showing them results but they don't understand how the results were gotten. And so the CEO is the key, I think. You get a CEO who's an innovator, the biggest mistake they make is to start the process and not bother to educate either the board or to keep their own eyes on the process itself to make sure that they themselves own it and don't just hand it over to the COO, right. or even worse, hand it over to HR. I mean, that, that's the worst thing when we march in and say we're going to have an improvement program and HR is going to administer it. You know right off the bat it's going to die. That the ownership at the very top is lacking. And let me tell you how that will happen. This idea of personizing and level two has to happen between the CEO and his immediate reports. If, if he or she doesn't create level two personalized relationships with them, they won't know how to pass it down through the line. And it's not a staff function, it's a line function. Every level has to recreate 
the personalized level two relationships. Uh, I want to go into that a little more. I've heard you talk about something called level one uh, and um, minus one. So can you go to a little bit more detail about this level two and what you mean by that and why it would be important? Great question, because that's really where I think uh, the important new thinking has to happen. If you think about all societies, they differentiate levels of relationship that are considered normal in the society. So the level minus one is the level of where we dominate. That's where the, the chief surgeon is a bastard who yells at his nurses and who, who, who dominates them. And presumably there's less of that today, but there was a period in history where domination by the leader was the norm and the subordinates just swallowed it and took it. And we see that in prisons and sweatshops and all kinds of functions. We've pretty much gotten rid of that in democracies, but we see pockets of it here and there even in hospitals, I'm sure. The next level, level one, is the traditional way we deal with strangers and in, in normal hierarchies and bureaucracies that are defined by how we deal in, in normal transactional relationships between roles. The role of the doctor is prescribed, the role of the nurse, the role of the tech, uh, the role of the patient. We know how those roles are supposed to work. We have created the concept of social distance. Don't let those roles get too close. And that has created a lot of the problems that we see. Level two is when we get more personal and say it's not just a role. It's not just nurse X. It's uh, Mary Jones. Hey, maybe if I get to know Mary Jones and reduce that social distance a little bit, we might have a better working relationship because we might, I might get to know that the reason Mary Jones sometimes is a little late for work because her home situation really is critical. And for me to know that is not a disadvantage but it's an advantage in that we can then compensate for difficulties that she may have or the day I am nervous as the surgeon, she will understand a little bit why maybe I am. So personizing and getting to know each other within the context of the job is what I'm calling level two. We're not going to be friends. We're not going to go out together but we're going to know enough about each other to get past the formality of the role. It's like my example with a doctor saying with a smile, look, let's make these 10 minutes count. We're both in this problem. Or, or, or what we might call team building by going out and having a meal together, breaking bread. Exactly. I think, again, exactly. it's interesting, your, your focus on getting to know people in this era of hashtag me too, I think that there's the bit of a dilemma about 
are you suggest how personal are you suggesting we get when it's easy to misinterpret signals or to be very concerned about why is somebody asking these certain questions? So, is there any guidance for that kind of getting to know you as a person within appropriate boundaries? Any thoughts about sure. that? Again, the term humility. If you look at the Me Too movement, the thing that has gotten the, the press is the sexual harassment. The point that's missed is what makes it harassment is it's a power move. Oh. It's, it's when someone exerts power over you that you have this reaction of this is not appropriate. And so the question of humility becomes the key. When, when Weinstein exerts power over these young actresses, that's what's wrong. If he actually falls in love with one and she with him, that's nature. But that's not what the Me Too movement is about. It's not about actual romance. It's about the use of power to gain sexual favors and put other people down. And power is lack of humility. So what this coaching does, where, where hospitals will coach surgeons and doctors on how to be more, whatever the term is, human with patients and nurses, the coaching is about learning how to be more real and humble rather than being obsessed with the power you have. Or the power associated with your role. Or the power associated with the role. So personizing is equating power between people rather than uh, getting too close in okay. some kind of... Mm-hmm. Level three is, is intimacy. And intimacy is not appropriate in a lot of work situations. Mm-hmm. And yet, we've discovered that in, in certain operations, like in the military, uh, if even maybe in, in, in the operating room, some things get so complicated that you want to know the other person at an even deeper level because you're going to be in, in an immediate interdependency in order for that surgery to work. And so we're not ruling out that occasionally even the concept of intimate knowledge of how we other how we work may be desirable. But the we're arguing you gotta get past level one into level two so that you can predict each other's behavior so you know each other well enough to be able to work on these more complicated interdependent situations. I think that one of the difficulties is, but if I'm the leader, I, I get that the organization is paying me, they're paying me for my role. So now I'm the leader, and what you're suggesting is that I create processes and support ways of other people demonstrating some, as you say, creating new ways to do things. Let's yeah. call that leadership. Yeah. Is that not threatening to the to, to someone who's grown up with a paradigm about leadership being an activity that someone with a formal role is responsible to do? I think it's very threatening, but at the same time, 
uh, as tasks become more complex, the person in that formal role will begin to realize that he or she doesn't know enough to do it by themselves. What will really in the end create humble leadership is the recognition by the people in the roles that they actually do need the help mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of their direct reports and their mm -hmm. teammates mm -hmm. and others. Mm -hmm. I think that yeah, people do carry a burden to think that it's them, it's about them fixing it. And that weighs people down when that's not even true. The, the young people who are coming into these roles are already much more uh, ready for this because they've dealt with complexity and they know that complexity is best dealt with in a, in a group process. Yeah, you, let's try to capture what you were saying earlier because you said it in a really succinct, clear way about the, the, the creating the process where others are allowed to come forward with the new way, the better way, the idea, the, no, the novel approach to a problem. That's leadership. Absolutely, because, again, of complexity. If you're running an automated uh, assembly line where everyone has a spe specific job that's well-defined and the boss knows exactly what his or her job is, the old system worked perfectly. The problem is that's not how work today feels. Work today is interdependent, complex, perpetually changing. Uh, and so we're kind of arguing that the reason we need a new concept of leadership is not because the old concept has always been wrong, but that the world is changing and that the world of work is requiring new, more collaborative, mm -hmm. multicultural, interdependent kinds of groups that have to be managed differently or they won't function at all. It's the work that's changing the requirements for new kinds of leadership. I, I was in the taxi going to the airport with a, a, a young man who works for a software company in the Boston area and we were chatting and I, he had some association with MIT and I said oh, I was coming out to see you and he, he did you know he was young he didn't he didn't connect to the name uh, but he said you know um, my group we have software people working and our company is trying to hire someone who could be a facilitator of the people in the group. And I thought that was really interesting that that's now given the nature of the work rather than embedding leadership to do that their default is we, they know there's a need to pull these people together to collaborate in different ways but they're, and they're looking for a group facilitator person to do that. And it's, it's sad that they're thinking of that as facilitation rather than leadership. That will be the same as leadership. That's right. That's right. Facilitation is leadership. Yeah. Yeah. But going back, I think there's been, um, you know, the, 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 the 
lack of true appreciation and valuing of process. And I, I, that's completely, right. I completely agree with you on that, that that's something that uh, for very long has not been a big focus. We have to redefine the word process because process usually means the, the engineering process, which is very fixed and standardized. And we're talking about group dynamics and interpersonal processes, mm -hmm. and that's what people are uncomfortable with. Right. Uh, and that's why I think a word like personizing and having other words, facilitation, being a catalyst, uh, the word leadership itself sh should die, and we should start using the word convene, direct, facilitate, mm -hmm. order. I mean, there are all these other words mm -hmm. that are part of what we think of as leadership, but they are all different in different situations. Mm -hmm. And so we should be more precise. Is, is the surgeon starting the big open heart surgery, is, is he the boss, the director, the facilitator, the expert, what what's the essence of that role and thereby what are the essences of the other roles mm -hmm. it's not about leadership it's about a much more subtle mm -hmm. differentiated set of of things that the people are doing that we end up calling teamwork but teamwork is also too vague right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. what kind of interdependence are we talking about Okay, well, going back full circle to where we started, the world is fast-changing, fast-moving, complex, and you're making a case for level two relationships in those situations. Correct. And when those situations begin to work in Team A, and each member of that team begins to work level two personizing with his other uh, relationships and with direct reports. That's how you gradually build a culture of level two, which then, and most people when they work at that level say, hey, this is much more fun. Uh, I feel more relaxed. Uh, one of the most dramatic statements I heard a chief of, of medicine uh, say is that doctor burnout is much less for doctors who have a more personal relationship with their patient than for doctors who have a level one distant relationship with their patient. Closeness is easier on, on the psyche in a certain way. I agree. I agree. Well, Ed, this has been fantastic. I want to thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts with us. And it's really quite an honor to be with you. Well, thank you. And I've really had uh, a good time expressing these thoughts because I do believe that uh, this personizing and levels of relationship is key to the future.